This is Residence 104.4 FM, Lippin' Marvellous. How you doing? I'm Nick Hennigan, and uh, it's time for another slice of Literary London, when um, we talk about, well, things literary and, well, yes, things Londony, but as you know, not always or exclusively. Uh, also, if you'd like to get in touch, of course, you can uh, radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. So if you're involved in anything to do with anything really, love, you know what it's like, then uh, do get in touch. Radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Um, we're also on bohemianbritain.com and on various YouTube channels. <laughs> I can't even say it. So many, I can't even get them all out. But someone that did get in touch, and I'm rather delighted they did, is um, Verena, well, actually it wasn't Verena, Verena Cornwall, um, who is the artistic director of something which I should know all about. Um, it's the Kensington and Chelsea Festival. Have I got the name right? That's correct, yeah. So thanks, thanks for coming to talk about it. I mean, I, the first thing that struck me when I heard about the festival was its size. I mean, we're taking shows to the Edinburgh Festival and have done for many years now with Maverick Theatre. In fact, we're going to begin this year with a thing called The Birth of Frankenstein. I always have to say it like that for some reason. Um, but uh, it's uh, it starts fairly soon and it, it runs for, what is it, two months? Just just tell us about the, the festival, because it sounds fantastic. I will. So it was one of those wonderful COVID stories of which there aren't many, but this is a, this is a great story in that uh, as a local authority, uh, we were just as as we were, you know, responding to residents saying that they just needed some joy, you know, as part of that process. And uh, and culture at the time was one of our five priorities as a council. So the lead member who's councillor, uh, Emma Will, said, uh, would it be possible to put together a kind of fringe style festival? Uh, in a very short period of time and, and clearly that is a brilliant thing for someone to to offer you as as a kind of can you can you try it so in the first year in in the middle of lockdown the festival ran for 12 very long weeks uh, and in part because everyone that we spoke to in terms of kind of cultural providers here said what a great idea let let's jump on board what can we do to help uh, you know what what can we do in terms of reaching both current arts audiences and and real kind of non-attenders so it was a very long 12 weeks which was very joyful actually although my role officially is artistic director uh, much of my time in that period was spent in a in a high-vis jacket out out there on on the streets and in the parks uh, talking to to residents and visitors about how talented the artists that we presented were and so that proved proof of concept. You, you could spend, as we know, a lot of money on a feasibility study. You know, you could spend a lot of time looking at data and, and, and audience uh, capturing uh, and so on and so forth. But this was a brilliant example of why don't we just go and do it and see if it works and see if people who don't normally come to a show would come to a pay what you want event in their, in their local theatre or, you know, would be out in the park and will stay and chat to us and watch a show. It is an interesting idea. I, I, well, and so do you think, would it have happened like this had it not been for lockdown? Or would they have gone through the feasibility studies and that kind of stuff, do you reckon? So I'm new to local authorities. I'm, I'm sure lots of local authorities do have a lot of, you know, complicated processes because clearly that that in part is is part of being a larger organisation. So I think I think like a lot of people, you know, we, we had circuses touring in COVID because they did a great job of working out the rules. And similarly, you know, we were able to, because it's in a local authority, we can go through the layers of kind of bureaucracy and health and safety much quicker than somebody externally could do. And we obviously work very closely with public health colleagues 
um, you know, during that time. So I think it's a true, it's a true COVID positive, and so much so that it's now an annual event. That's brilliant. Well, uh, let's just talk, we'll talk about the festival specifically, but because Kensington and Chelsea, I mean, there are people around the world who who uh, will be watching and listening. Um, it's an interesting borough, isn't it, Kensington and Chelsea? I think it's about six miles, square miles. I haven't done much research on this. But but when you think of Kensington and Chelsea, it's got, uh, at one hand, some of the most expensive housing and accommodation in all of London and arguably the world. Uh, and then at the other end, it's got, it's got some uh, sort of council estates or what they might call uh, uh, housing projects. Um, I mean, I kind of love that. I mean, I'm a council state kid myself. How how do you how do you cater for a borough like that? What's your take on it? Yeah, great question. So we do have, I think, the average house price is two point two million sterling in the borough, and yet we have a number of uh, areas that are kind of highest on the areas of deprivation, sadly, for the for the country. And it is very much turn left, turn right, because it is the second smallest borough in London. So actually part of the council response, obviously across the different teams, it is, is to focus on where assistance is most, most needed. Uh, and within the festival context, where I started with the programming matrix was looking at uh, social housing estates where people probably were least likely to engage in the arts for a number of inherent reasons and saying, you know, what is it we can offer to people who are in those different locations as a priority. So the first thing is, let's look at those areas, let's look at youth engagement, arts programs, and let's think about programming that, that could bring something people wouldn't normally have, have the ability to see or, or may not wish to see because it's not their cup of tea. And just starting to kind of, um, you know, work with our cultural organizations, many of whom already, already do that work. So we have two council owned buildings, uh, which we call the art centers in the North and the South. So that is the Tabernacle in the north of the borough, which uh, Notting Hill Carnival is run from, and also Chelsea Theatre in the south of the borough, which sounds terribly nice and is very nice, but it's right located on one of our biggest um, social housing estates with 750 flats. So it's very much kind of, okay, how can we do it well? Let, let's look at a journey that we can go on as a festival, but also a journey with our residents and visitors yeah, it's it's World's End, isn't it? I think what a great name. <laughs> I nearly worked at a children's home there a few years ago, uh, and and I yeah, I completely get that. Maverick Theatre started because I grew up in a council estate, and it wasn't until I was working on radio with all these lovely Oxbridge types, having left school at fifteen without any qualifications, that I realised the reason none of us went to the theatre was not about ignorance or intelligence. It was that no one asked us. And Maverick's been doing that in various ways. Maverick Theatre Company's been doing that in various ways uh, ever since. And um, so how do you start, kind of, well, well, if you don't mind, again, let's go back to you, because how do you start programming something like that? And then, and what's your background? Are you, were you working in festivals before you say you're quite new to the local authority? So when I was 16, I left school and I went to go and volunteer at the local street theatre festival, which is the longest running street theatre festival in the country. Then I ended up running the theatre company and the festival, and thus my life was born. So a lot of the things that people will find out about me if they, if they look me up is my association with circuses. So there's a lot of history with kind of outdoor arts and circuses. And then some more what might be seen to be grown up roles. I was principal of English National Ballet School at one point in my life, and lots of kind of um, names that people would have heard of, perhaps more than my circus contacts. So, so a lot of my work has been 
working to enable artists to make kind of high quality product and also uh, enable them to bring that product to audiences, ideally kind of non-typical arts audiences. So some of the things we do in the festival are very much uh, focused on that. So you will have spotted in the programme, we do a kind of cultural swap as it is, because we had, uh, for example, Opera Holland Park go out to our, our own public parks. So we call it Songs Somewhere. They go, they appear, they do a great job and then disappear again. And we have music from Notting Hill Carnival in Opera Holland Park, which obviously brings a completely different audience to, to their own venue. So much of the, the work that we're doing is about kind of, you know, looking at thinking, okay, let's think about audiences. Let's, let's think about artists and the kind of product. And let's work out in terms of a kind of framework, how that might all fit within a festival. Yeah, I, I remember seeing years ago a, a pantomime at the Tabernacle. Uh, and it was joyous. It was, joy and, and of course, people would have heard of Notting Hill, uh, which is also in your borough, isn't it? It's part of Kensington and Chelsea. Yep. Um, uh, uh, obviously, from the film, <laughs> I have to mention it. Love, uh, I had an email from someone uh, who emailed this show and said, "Could you could you take a photo of the Blue Door in Notting Hill?" I'm not sure it's still there, but uh, but it, there is that kind of uh, of worldwide. And of course, the Notting Hill Carnival in itself was a huge celebration, or is a huge celebration, and started from pretty pretty solid roots, didn't it? I mean, did you you embrace that? Obviously, as you were saying, with your with with the opera uh, opera as well. Do you, how how have you worked it uh, in terms of programming? Did you say right? We're now going to have. 100 events, uh, uh, this is the budget, right, I'll go and knock on a few doors. Or how did you get that ball rolling, the community side of things? So that was, again, the great thing about getting outside the front door and, and actually going to talk to people in that first year because we learned an awful lot about, about what people's aspirations are, maybe challenging those sometimes and just getting feedback from audiences. Um, as I said, many of whom may not normally go to an arts activity but had come across one. Um, and we have stewards who speak multiple languages. Many of our outdoor arts shows have no language in them. And we printed up some delightful little cushions that have the branding on that are literally, they look a bit like handbags, they're brilliant. So, so you can stand in a park and go up to somebody and I'm standing in a high-vis jacket, say, you know, would you like a seat? And they look at you as if to say, a seat? And you give them this wonderful little black cushion with a logo on that gives them a seat to watch a free show. So in a way, it's partly that kind of, am I invited to take part in this? I might be walking past it in a park, but is it for me? And also, am I allowed to go and see it? Brilliant. And those really simple things actually work really well. Yes, I mean, in Australia, we started doing pub theatre in Birmingham, and it was advertising in other pubs, which regular yeah. theatres hadn't done at the time. <laughs> so uh, beer, I'm, uh, beer, beer mat marketing, very fondly, beer mat marketing for theatre yes. shows. Exactly. Oh, it's funny you should say that because the other thing I do is the London Literary Pub Crawl I wrote. And, uh, well, you're, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see this very classy beer mat that I happen to have in my pocket. <laughs> um, yeah, beer mat, absolutely. And it, it sort of surprised me back then that not many people had thought of it. I mean, obviously you have, which is which is brilliant. That's a great thing to do. Um, uh, this is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM. We're also on bohemianbritain.com various YouTube channels. And uh, I'm talking to Verena Cornwall, who is the artistic director of the Kensington and Chelsea Festival, which uh, runs all of July and all of August 23. Um, again, that's for someone that's, that's spent quite a lot of time at the Edinburgh Festival now, 
it's it's kind of greatly crazy that you're running for two months was that a conscious decision yeah good question so i i've actually worked in a couple of very large-scale european partnerships um clearly which have recently ended due to the for obvious reasons and and lots of that is working with people who run festivals across europe um or who run creation spaces and they will be you know at, at a meeting presenting their very fantastic festival which lasts for five days um, and similarly, I previously was the artistic director for St. Patrick's Festival in Dublin, which is, you know, a whole scale of activities in, in five days, but takes a whole year to, to arrange. Um, this is, is kind of stretched out because we recognise that there are different things for different people in terms of, you know, their own rhythms uh, and, and, you know, throughout throughout the summer. And not everybody wants to see everything it's like the fringe in edinburgh you know where, where no two people will ever see the same set of, of, of uh, activities so it's really to say you know you've got the opportunity uh, a lot of the program is either free or pay what you want some of it you have to pay for because uh, the partner events such as opera holland park clearly they they need the they need the income to subsidize um their work but come along try it Certainly something like we've got Mars, War and Peace from uh, Luke Duran. So you might be walking past the town hall and then you might see an enormous inflatable Mars and ponder what, what is it? But most people, it's very interesting. We had Gaia from Luke Duran previously and, and the uh, Museum on the Moon. And when people walk past something like that, it, it, I, I, even the you know a post person, a delivery person will stop. You know, you've got an Uber driver will put the put the car up and, and come over and have a look. So it's that thing of um, trying to bring joy, but very kind of high quality artistic joy. Yeah, and of course, I mean, you 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 mentioned it, you touched on it there, but I suppose one or two people might say, "Oh, we're in a cost of living crisis. How can?" How can how can it, how can the borough pay for something like this? What how does that work? <laughs> well, it's exactly that. You know, we we we're a local authority, and we have a there's a whole list of things that we need to to deliver each year. You know, but but one of the things is is pegged around feedback from residents. You know, so residents who are paying council taxes, as we we all are, you know, are, are actually looking at us and saying, you know, what is it we get for for that and. It's again this thing that you know some people are accessing adult social care because that's what they're paying for, and others are not. So it, what's been brilliant is we we haven't had a, a whole flurry of kind of questions about why would you why would you facilitate culture, because I think what's really clear from our evaluation is that it's very accessible, that people you know are are it is fundamental to their enjoyment as we all know that if you have a, a moment of engagement in something that's positive that that you know that has a positive effect on your your mental health, and so. Um, you know, we work with, for example, public health colleagues to try and leave the funding to do with 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 those kind of initiatives. Um, we have things like, um, you know, greening initiatives where we've got shows that have relevant climate change messages. So part of my role is to kind of run around internally in the council to to explain the the festival concept to colleagues who have small bits of funding to try and knit together the kind of blanket that is the funding for the for the festival and my lead member is extremely good at, at, at helping with that yeah i mean I, I devil's advocate in a sense because i mean i know personally i've seen it as well uh, how important uh, culture with a small c 
uh, it is, and it and it does change people's lives, and there is an absolute value in it. And I won't get too political now about the the current situation, but but I, and I also love if I do love the fact that you're out for two months because you're dead right. I know there are I've tended to 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 write shows that have gone to the Edinburgh Festival, and you will you'll you'll bump into the professional theatre goers who will will literally almost not have time to say hello because they've got their schedule worked out and they're they're spending seven hours you know they'll, they'll, yeah it's it's sort of sounds hugely stressful to me but I know some people do that whereas this this seems a little bit more laid back or uh or like you know you're dealing with people who are living there as well in the borough I mean how did you you say so your first job was was uh, uh was with with that uh, with the uh, street theater thing uh, the circus thing was that in London are you are you a Londoner originally no, I, I, I'm only recent to London, though I've worked in London, obviously, for large amounts of my career and, and different parts of Europe as well. So that was in in uh, what's called Winchester Hat Fair, which is, as I said, it's the longest running street theatre festival in the country. Uh, and that's where, obviously, then <clears throat> I got to meet people I'm still working with in, on a peer-to-peer level in terms of um, some of those artists and also colleagues both in the UK and, and across Europe. And what's really good about that is I was reflecting, so there's a European organisation that a number of us worked to set up called Circo Strada. And, you know, we would have had the same members. Obviously, additional members have joined, but on a, on a kind of learning from each other basis, you know, we would have had 20 years of meeting in different locations and talking, seeing shows, talking to artists, trying to work out how we can support artists, meeting audiences. And that just really adds something to your own learning in terms of each location you're in. Yeah, and and did you, if you don't mind me asking, were, were your parents particularly arty or creative? What 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 sparked your interest? Do you think originally as a as a younger woman? Well, it's one of those great Edinburgh stories. We've all got Edinburgh stories, yeah. haven't we? I, I went to some friends of the family uh, took us to Edinburgh, took me and and uh, their daughter to Edinburgh, and and I think like most adults, if I'm whispering it quietly wanted to go and see some shows, but had these children to look after. So they they enrolled us in one of those kind of make a play in a week um, setups, which I realised very early on, I'd never be very good at acting. So I ended up kind of doing a bit of quasi directing uh, and very low scale and moving bits of scenery around. Uh, and that for me, that was one of those changes. And, and I always hold that in my head when I'm thinking about, for example, our looked after children. So a lot of the things that we do in in the culture team, and that includes, in in our case, uh, Portobello and Goldbourne Road Market, is always thinking about who is not able to access this or be part of this journey, and how can we put a special initiative together where somebody who wouldn't get that opportunity that I had had, you know, that kind of light bulb moment, might then be able to come and go on a journey with us. Yeah, it's very important, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I know Scouts, I think, with me, the Birmingham Gang Show, who... Back in their day, it was run by television people. And it, I, you talk about gang show, you think of Rinky Tink Piano, you know, and they hired the Birmingham Hippodrome, which is one of the biggest stage houses in in, in, in the UK outside the West End in Europe. Um, and that was quite, that that had an effect on me. Not Again, not to, to act, but, and I guess the glory is, is exactly that, isn't it? With what you're doing now, there will be other you and me's who might go, oh, hang on a minute. Um, and it's it's quite hard to justify that sometimes, though, isn't it? In terms of a in a capitalist society, uh, it's hard to sort of um, uh, well, we don't justify it, I suppose, financially, particularly when the, there seem to be so many pressures. I don't quite know how you do that. I, I guess other than shout about it, really. 
Well, I think this is the interesting thing about being in a local authority because we obviously have a we have a council plan that's been um, you know discussed with residents in advance, and then that will have a whole series of different initiatives that we have to track over a period of time that we're delivering. So it's so in, it, it you know it's a case of me going through that process um, in advance of being part of that journey to then end up with some elements of that council plan that the festival itself delivers. You know, so it, it might be something big and it might be something small. We, for example, have a, a trainee producer role, which is aimed at someone who's been in our care system. They come and they're paid London living wage. Uh, I train them, they're mentored by me, and then they have the opportunity of carrying on that mentoring journey afterwards. Uh, and previous people who've been on that scheme um, have gone to university, which is completely down to them and not necessarily down to us, but, you know, and, and uh, are working in our cultural venues. So it's just thinking about you you can do different things for different people at different levels, can't you? But but being always mindful of the fact that there are people who are least likely to actually have the ability to be spotlighted and to be taken on a journey. And kind of I really feel that that's um, it's very key for us to, to make sure that there's a, there are those moments. Yeah, and again, I completely get that because we, we had a youth group as well, the Maverick on our on our estate, on the Billsley estate. And it's I love the fact that, in fact, that the, the uh, Olivier Awards, Sir Derek Jacobi got a Lifetime Award and Arthur Darville, Tom Darville, got the best actor. Uh, and Arthur, Derek Jacobi's done some stuff for Maverick Theatre Company uh, for Hamlet. And Tom's daughter, sorry, Arthur, his stage name, uh, started in Birmingham as well. And he's kind of going, yeah, that's what it's all about. So uh, we're talking to uh, Verena uh, Cornwall, who's the Artistic Director of the uh, Kensington and Chelsea Festival. So that's kind of the background. What's the what's the best bits? What's coming up now? What what What's exciting you? What we've got to, look, got to look forward to over the next couple of months? Yeah, that's the hardest question ever to answer. What are the best bits? <laughs> They're all your favourite child. That's, that, that's the thing. And, and it really is kind of horses for courses and, and also thinking about kind of, you know, would you like to try something different? And that, in a way, is the pay what you want part of it. Is that someone who may not be familiar with a venue, let alone the kind of product, artistic product that's going in it, you know, might might come along for the, you know, for the free drink and the, and the pay what you want ticket and might be delighted because this is the joy of fringe shows that we have, uh, for example, 18 fringe shows at Chelsea Theatre and might go home and wonder what it was all about, as we all have done, which is actually <laughs> part of the experience in, in many senses, isn't it? It's that bit in the bar afterwards, you know, or the or having a cup of cup of tea, you know, where you're you're could be genuinely baffled or genuinely delighted by by any of those activities. So. So have you got any well favourites? What's the what's what's happening? You don't have to say favourites. Uh, what's going we, on? What we we, st we start with with the uh, with opera on the on the first of July, but also at the same time there's a family fun day which we're working on with our leisure team. So you might say that that's kind of high culture, low culture, but it kind of it then offers something for everybody. And thus we roll forward um, with a whole host of uh, different indoor shows in in venues across the borough. As I said, you know, there's some fringe work, there's some dance, there's some music. Um, and then we get into the outdoor arts programme. So that is uh, has a, a, a whole series of very high quality kind of large scale outdoor shows that pop up in different locations. So what we do is we come to uh, one park, take over the entire park for the weekend. 
you might then come the next weekend and wonder where's it all gone because it's all packed down into into a little van and driven off somewhere else so we have different sets of professional performers for each of those those weekends uh and they're all kind of outdoor and free uh, and then uh, thus we carry on with uh, Mars War and Peace, which is the Lucha Round piece, which 30,000 people came to see Gaia last year in person. And in fact, the same number in COVID, amazingly enough. So that is always a bit of a blockbuster for some for some people um, because they are really stunning artworks. And we've got two different churches that we're we're putting um, those uh, inst- that the installation in. And then that will end up outside on what's called Jubilee Square, which is at the at the town hall. And thus we progress to basically um, Carnival, which is obviously a separate event that the Notting Hill Carnival themselves run, uh, but is in the same dates as us. And then we end up with a with an event at one of our theatres in in the north. So there's a very packed program, and there's also we're still adding the the final events because what happens is, for example, we're working on a a series of um, activities with um, artists from Flanders. So we're about to anou- announce that in terms of an extra piece of programme. So it's it's always the case that actually, even once the website is live and running uh, on the 1st of July, we'll we'll have a, had a conversation with someone that has taken a bit more time and we can delightfully kind of pop that into the newsletter, which you should sign up for, I should say, on our website. Yes, I was going to come to all the contact details. It's How many events have you got then? Would you say? Oh, well, we had about seventy last year, so so we haven't settled on the final parts of the program. There'll be about about seventy again, I suspect. And again, practically, how do you make it work? Is it, it, it's, it's, so you say you spend a lot of? You've got a massive team, or is it just a few of you? Or you're obviously because it's a local authority uh, event. You're obviously using other departments. How does how does it practically happen before the actual shows? How do you make it work? Good question. So what what we do is obviously we have relationships with some of our cultural venues. So, for example, Opera Island Park, they don't need me to turn up and help them in any shape or form because they clearly absolutely tooled up and ready to go. So they will. So we have cultural venues that are delivering shows in partnership, as it were. We have um, some uh, partnerships that we are in the middle of. So so that's kind of a joint venture. So Notting Hill Carnival Music at Opera Island Park, for example, and the fringe shows that are at Chelsea Theatre. They are basically an open call. So we had an open call together, which 70 companies applied for. So that's obviously a, a big process of um, trying to work out who's going to go where. Um, also involving the community and making those choices, because people will hopefully then feel a bit more like they want to come if they've voted for something as part of that process. And then the kind of more labour intensive in terms of kind of production teams are the outdoor arts events because they're obviously <laughs> packed weekends in a park. And we make it look very simple as if it just appeared out of nowhere, but there's an awful lot of running around before and after. Um, and then uh, Luke Duram's, uh, uh Mars War and Peace. Clearly, when it comes outdoors outside the town hall, we'll have a very large amount of footfall. So we we have, um, you'll see lots of stewards in, in jackets. They're sort of pretty much day and night looking after what's a very expensive structure and making sure that people could enjoy it. So have you have you still got your high vis? I have I, uh, at all times in my car. There, there <laughs> is high vis, yeah, stuck in my locker. So yeah, I'm I'm not often known to be outside in public in the festival without some kind of way of marketing the fact that people could get involved in the festival. 
<laughs> Brilliant. And so how do people get involved? How, so you mentioned, well, how do we get involved? How do we find out more? So the easiest thing to do is to sign up for the newsletter. Uh, because that that will then give you kind of priority booking for activities. So things like um, Luke Durham's, Durham's installations are free, but there's only a limited amount of tickets. So we pre-release those and any associated concerts to people who are on, on the newsletter. We also do what might be considered slightly old school marketing that I particularly like. So we ask all the schools if we can put banners um, outside their, their the front gates and we put banners on parks. We give all our residents a postcard through their, their letterbox. And then where we have clusters of shows in, in particular locations, I will write using Google Translate a different lang- a letter in different languages to re- local residents. So it's very much we have visitors that come in that might come and do one or two events. Last year we had someone come to every one of the outdoor um, arts programs, which, which was brilliant. Uh, and then we have people who just chance by and actually that's the fun of it you know genuinely somebody walking past the church's open door seeing a massive inflatable you know art installation and us being able to say you know do you want to come and have a look you know it's it's brilliant fantastic and what's the website address it's kcfestival.co.uk kcfestival.co.uk it sounds fantastic i'll be there uh, Verona Cormor, Artistic Director of the uh, Kensington and Chelsea Festival. Thanks very much for your time. Sounds brilliant. Are you going to add there? I, 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 shall, I shall pop up. I might bring a hydrant as well. I know, I'm showing off. I haven't got one. But uh, thank you very much. That's all we've got time for. Uh, this has uh, been a fascinating conversation. Kensington and Chelsea uh, Arts Festival. Um, um, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, as always, you can drop me a line, radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk is probably the easiest mavericktheatre.co.uk radio at uh, or of course you can uh, you can get me on twitter uh, uh, it's nick hennigan very complicated so don't worry about that just drop us an email if you'd like to get in touch uh, that's it oh, i must say hello to kath from california who emailed again she says i am still listening on the beach who knows <laughs> but i shall see you next time we're on bohemianbritain.com i'm nick hennigan this is literary london on resonance 104.4 FM.